Welcome to church. Glad you guys are here. Welcome to our online attenders, uh, our online church. Hey, uh, as Pastor Ruben mentioned, I am Nick McCall. I'm the Life Stages pastor here. I have an opportunity uh, to bring the word today. I'm humbled and I'm grateful to be at this amazing, incredible church. Thorn Creek is an amazing, amazing place. Yeah, it is. It's a great place. Great people. Um, so guys, we're in our series right now on the book of Hebrews. Uh, this series I've loved so far. It's a 13-week series. We're taking you know one week to go through each, each chapter of the book of Hebrews each week. So we're in week four right now. So we're in Hebrews chapter four. If you've missed any of the previous uh, messages, I encourage you go to our YouTube page, search Thorn Creek Church on YouTube, and listen to the previous messages. It'll give you some good context into the book of Hebrews and where we're at uh, specifically today. So today we're in, we're in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, a little context into the book of Hebrews just briefly. Uh, no one's really sure of, of the author of the book of Hebrews. We don't have an exact author. There's, there's theories that it's Paul or, or Apollos or, or Barnabas, but nobody really knows for sure. There's themes of each of them throughout the book of Hebrews. But we do know that the book of Hebrews was written specifically to the Jewish Christians who were converts from Judaism. And many of them were contemplating on going back to Judaism because there was so much persecution happening towards them. They were being blamed for setting Rome on fire. Uh, Nero was coming after them. It was getting difficult to be a Christian. It was getting extremely difficult. And they thought, you know what? It'd be a whole lot easier if we just went back to the way things were before. Maybe we should just go back. And so the author of Hebrews is writing them specifically saying, don't go back. Stand strong. Jesus is worth it. I promise you he is greater. He is better than any trial or challenge or difficulty that you will face. And as you read through the book of Hebrews, you'll find that theme over and over. It's very prominent here in the book of Hebrews. So there's one really common theme we've seen a lot so far in Hebrews, and that is that Jesus is greater. Uh, we've seen that a lot here in Hebrews. Jesus is greater. If you look at chapter 1 of Hebrews, we see Jesus is greater than the prophets. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 talk about how Jesus was greater than the angels. And last week in Hebrews chapter 3, we talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses, which was a big deal to talk about because Moses was this you know, very renowned, very respected leader in the church. And the author is very strategic as he talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses. So he builds this framework because he wants the readers to understand Jesus is greater. It's worth it. Stay in the fight. It's going to be okay. Keep trusting God. Don't quit when things get hard. What a relevant message even to us today. Don't quit when things get hard. Don't just follow Jesus when life is easy. Stay with him in the fight. Stay with him in the fire. He'll stay with you. He's greater. And so it's a really common theme here as we read through Hebrews. So today, we're in Hebrews chapter 4. You got some good context. You guys ready to read Hebrews chapter 4 with me? I encourage you stand out of reverence and respect for God's word, those of you who are able. And we will read Hebrews chapter 4 together. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no valuable or no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in, Because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is is alive and that is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, we thank you that you speak through your word. And God, right now, I pray that you speak through your word. Lord, you know the word that we need to hear today. And God, I pray this word is from you. I pray you just push me aside. Lord, use me as a vessel. But God, we're way more interested in what you have to say. So God, lead me. Be my transcript. Be my guide. Speak through me, God. All of us, myself included, need a word from you. Move in this place, God. We love you. Move in every heart. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So the book of Hebrews is broken, or the book of Hebrews, this chapter of Hebrews uh, is really broken up into, into about two sections here. The, the first section really talks about this whole idea of Sabbath rest for God's people. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today is part one. Part two really talks about Jesus is our high priest. Um, that theme of Jesus as high priest really continues in chapter 5. Pastor Jeremy's going to unpack that for us next week. You want to make sure you don't miss that message. Um, but, so we're really going to focus on this whole idea of, of Sabbath rest and, and what that really looks like. See, there's a difference between resting and Sabbath. They're not the same thing. They're, they're not interchangeable. Just because you day, take a day off of work doesn't mean you took a Sabbath. Just because you spent the day on the couch instead of going to work, or you spent the day in the garage, you spent the day on the yard, or spent the day at the lake even, just because you do those things doesn't mean you took a Sabbath. Okay? The, taking a Sabbath is a very specific practice. See, the whole idea of Sabbath is literally just to hit the pause button on the craziness, the busyness, the anxiety, the worry, everything of life. 
It's to, it's to pause. It's to take a moment to reconnect your soul with your creator, to, to worship, to, to read scripture, to pray, to connect your soul to God. That's the whole idea of Sabbath. It's, it's to focus on what fills you spiritually and emotionally. So again, it's, it's different than just like, I took a nap today and I Sabbathed. Although sleeping is good for you, there's this whole other idea of Sabbath as like spiritual rest. Um, Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, is the Hebrew word, Shabbat, which means Sabbath, or which is Sabbath, and Shabbat literally means to stop. Okay, Sabbath literally means to stop. The Sabbath is simply a day to stop, stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. See, the Sabbath, this whole idea comes from the beginning of creation. We see when God rested, God worked six days creating this beautiful, beautiful earth. Isn't, don't we live in such a beautiful place? Hallelujah. Do you ever just look in the mountains and worship God and say, God, I can't believe you made all this. God, it's, it's a beautiful, thank you for making everything so incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And we live in Colorado, which is a beautiful state. But he worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it what, church? He made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating everything that he had done. You know what I notice here? God, the creator of all the universe, God who is perfect, God who is omnipresent, who is omnipowerful, who is everywhere, who is in everything, needed rest. Even God needed rest. What does that tell you? Even God needed a day off. Even God needed a nap. Even God needed time to just breathe and just rest. So don't think you don't need rest. God, our creator, needed rest. You need rest. And not only did he take a day off, but it says he blessed it and he made it holy. That Sabbath is a Holy things. See, holy means this. It means dedicated or consecrated to God. Sacred. It's sacred. The Sabbath day is sacred. It's precious. It's consecrated, but it's holy. It's considered this holy, beautiful day. It's a day to stop, a day to reflect. It's a day to worship. If you don't include worship and prayer in your day off, you're doing it wrong. You got to include time with Jesus in your, in your time of rest and not just one day a week. It's got to be every day, but really on that day of rest, it's a day to just reflect and say, God, I recognize how good you've been to me. God, I recognize all the things you've done in my life. As I look around my life, I see all the blessings and all the things you've given me. Thank you, God. Do you ever just take a moment and just thank God for everything? Even if you're in public, you ever been in a public place and you just stopped and you've lifted your hands and you said, God, thank you for everything. That'd be kind of an interesting sight. But sometimes God can capture your, your attention no matter where you're at. See, it's a day for us to worship God. You have to include worship and time with God in your Sabbath. It's a day of rest, resting in all the things that God has given you. But so many of us, we don't do this very well. We may take a day off, but we don't Sabbath rest. We don't give our souls time to rest we just take the day off to do all kinds of other things. It's no wonder that people today are so busy. They're overworked. They're stressed out. They're anxious. They're dealing with anxiety, depression. They're exhausted. I mean, how many times you talk to someone, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, I've been busy. That's so common, right? You say, hey, how are you? You're like, busy. 
Okay, great. Hey, how are you doing? I'm busy. It's been a busy week. It's been a busy month. We've had a lot going on. Oh, it's been so busy. All of us say that all the time. It's no wonder we're stressed out. We're overworked. We're anxious. We feel disconnected from God. We feel like we're missing something because we're so busy. See, this whole idea comes from a Greek word, katapausis, which means rest or place of rest, essentially. It's this Greek idea. And, and the whole idea of this is to be in a place of restfulness. It's a way of slowing things down and realizing the things that really matter and spending your energy and your time carefully. All of us have an energy bank. We have a time bank. It's not unlimited. It does have a limit. Your energy bank's got a limit. That's emotional energy, spiritual energy, physical energy. You got a limit on that. And we run around like it's infinite, but it's not. We need time to just to pause and to, and to take things a little slow. We're so busy. Many of us don't even really understand what this type of rest looks like. So let's break this down um, a little bit more from a biblical perspective. Verse 1 again says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Last week, I told you guys about my college professor. I'll tell those of you who didn't hear it. I had this college professor. Whenever we saw the word therefore in scripture, he would always say, therefore, what's it there for? Which would cause us to like pause and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We'd have to go back and read the previous chapter and like, what, what was this therefore connected to? In this case, he's, he's referring to, to chapter three, which was this, this, this kind of this warning to make sure that we remain obedient to God, that we don't harden our hearts towards God, because when we harden our hearts towards God, we miss out on his rest. And, and, and we miss out on a lot of other things with God. And so it was this idea to warn readers not to um, turn their heart or harden their hearts towards God. But the good news here is that it says that that rest still remains, that it's, that it's still available to those who are following God. Christ. This promise is still available. They haven't blown it like their ancestors did. So in verse 2, he says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no valuable or no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So both the, the ancient Israelites and the, and the current readers have, have been given this message from God and this writer is saying, like, our ancestors, the ancient Israelites, back in the days of Moses, when you know, God was trying to get a hold of them and get them to be obedient, and they were just constantly disobeying God, right and left, all the time, always needing God's grace. So he's saying they had this message, and they didn't receive it well. They weren't obedient. We have the same message. Let us be obedient. Let us learn from their mistakes, and let us obey God. See, we see there's, there's two important things to follow here. It's faith and obedience. In other words, believe in Jesus and obey his word. Believe in Jesus and obey his word. Take the word of God seriously. Take the commands of God seriously. Take the truth of God seriously. Listen to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and obey his word. Continues in verse 3. He says, now we who have believed enter that what, church? We enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, 
they shall never enter my rest. So verse three, this, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, is quoting Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is quoted a lot between chapters three and four. In fact, it's three different times Psalm 95 is quoted, is referenced. So here we have it. He, he references Psalm 95. Psalm 95 was a very familiar passage to the early Jewish Christians because Psalm 95 was often read in synagogue services. They would read it on Friday nights and they would read it on Saturday mornings. And the first part of Psalm 95 was this call to worship. And then the second part of it was just a reminder to be obedient to God's word, to not be disobedient, to not harden their hearts. You'd think you would know this is really important because he keeps quoting it over and over again. You're going to see it again here in chapter four. He quotes Psalm 95. And again, he's doing this because he understands his audience. He understands these people and what's valuable to them. Psalm 95, they get it. They understand it. They hear it all the time. So he references this to them to remind them that they need to not harden their hearts towards God. Otherwise, they won't enter God's rest. He references Genesis chapter 2 also. He's quoting a lot of scripture here. Again, Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the seventh day, whatever day of the week you have to rest, as we talked about already, it's a holy day. It's a sacred day. It's a day that's supposed to be set apart for you and God. It's a day that's supposed to be set apart for you to reconnect yourself to your creator and learn more about God. We actually learned this rhythm from God in Genesis where God worked six days. He rested for one. We learned this very rhythm of work and rest from God. We need to do a better job at applying this to our lives. See, we were created to live in the same rhythm of work and rest. Both of them are important to our very souls. Just like rest is important for your soul, work is important for your soul. Doesn't that sound interesting? You're like, I don't, I don't like work. I don't want to work. I know, but it's the way God made us, and work is good for us. It's good for us to have purpose. It's good for us to work. It's good for us to do things, even in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, well, even Adam, before Eve was even created, Adam was given a job. He had a job to do. At Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and care of it. Even before sin entered the world, we were created to work. Even before we were corrupted by sin, God said, I want you to work. I want you to take care of this garden. Well, why would God do that? Why would God want us to work? Why didn't God put a couch there for Adam and a bag of potato chips and be like, sit and don't do anything? Because we were created to work. We were created in this rhythm of work and rest. God's like, look, I worked hard. I created this beautiful earth, this beautiful garden for you. Now you got to do your part. I need you to work it and take care of it for me. Water the bushes, take care of the plants, hang out with the animals, eat the fruit, take care of it. He gave him a job to do. It's good for us. It gives us purpose. And also, when you work really hard, that rest is sweet, isn't it? You ever worked hard all day, you're exhausted, and then the next day you get to rest, or even the afternoon, isn't that rest so much sweeter? You go to bed so much better that night because you worked hard. It's, it's, it's how God made us. Working and resting, that rhythm it's spiritual. 
It's spiritual. It's good for us. We shouldn't run away from work. We just need to do the things we enjoy doing, do the things that don't feel like work. That's how God made us to be in this rhythm. So we need this work and we need this rest, this seven-day rhythm. Those of you who are history buffs in here, you probably know this. This was new to me as I was doing some research this week, but during the, during the revolution in France in 1789, they abandoned the seven-day work week and went to a 10-day work week. And they tried it for a full year. And when they, what they found is it was a disaster, absolute disaster. The economy crashed, the suicide rate skyrocketed, and productivity actually went down. It was a horrible thing. So they ended up saying, forget that. We're going back to the seven-day work week. That 10-day thing was a bad idea. See, it's been proven study after study, check this out, that there is no correlation between busyness and productivity. Zero. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive. Just because you're at work for 40 or 50 hours a week doesn't mean you're productive at work and getting stuff done. It just means you're there. There's more working does not mean more productivity. Instead, what's been discovered is there's actually a cap on average on human productivity in a week. You know what that cap is? About 50 hours. What they found study after study is people who start working more than 50 hours, their productivity actually goes down. Their overall mental health and well-being goes down. They become more stressed out, more irritable. They're not well-balanced. God made you to work, and he made you to rest. Once a person works more than 50 hours, they're stressed out, they're anxious. You need a good balance. It's how God made you. Just trust the process. God is good. He knows what he's doing. He made you the way he made you, and this is the way God made us, and we were created to keep work and to keep rest. They're both good for us. Keeping the Sabbath, is it's a direct command from God in the Ten Commandments. We see this a couple times in the Old Testament. The first one is in Exodus chapter 20. If you're familiar with the story, Moses is leading the Israelites out of slavery, trying to get them to the promised land, and through the process, they're just disobedient day after day after day. God shows up in amazing ways. He's like, all right, I'm going to bring water out of a rock for you. I'm going to blow your mind and show you that I'm with you. So he brings water flowing from a rock for them to drink, and they still doubt him. They still are disobedient. They still turn their backs on God. God makes food rain down from heaven. All these crazy things takes care of the Israelites for 40 years. And even in that time, they find themselves being disobedient and rebellious. So God's like, all right, Moses, go on up on the mountain with me. Uh, hang out with me. I'm going to give you some commands to give the people. So this is one of them in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Verse 8, the first word of verse 8 is remember. Remember, I love that the, the first word here is remember because it's easy for us to forget that we were, we were given one day a week that's set aside for our souls to rest. It's easy to get caught up in the busyness of our lives, isn't it? Running from place to place, getting the kids from one appointment to the next, to soccer practice, to football games, to um, recitals, to all kinds of things, making sure you make each appointment you set for yourself, you're constantly, you're showing up to work, you're exhausted, you're, you're doing all of the things that you've set in your busy calendar, and at the end of every day and every work week, you're just exhausted. And then on the weekend, you don't do a good job resting, so Monday rolls around and you're like, Monday's the worst day of the week, because I didn't rest. You didn't give yourself time 
to rest. See, we have to remember that life is a gift and your time is limited. Spend your time wisely. You have to remember to take time to enjoy the blessings God has given you in your life and do so out of an act of gratefulness and an act of worship. When you remember the things that God has blessed you with, thank him as an act of worship to him. When you remember all the ways that God has taken care of you, say, God, thank you. I worship you. See, when you live in a place of gratitude, you live in a place of worship. When you live in a place of gratitude, constant gratitude, like, God, thank you for everything. You live in a constant plate of worship because your eyes are on the one who gave you everything. When you live in a place of like, I did that. Look at that house. Look at that car. Look at this life. Look at my kids. Look at how smart they are. Look at, look at everything that I've done. Look, it, it, you're not in a place of worship. You're not in a place of gratitude. You're in a place of pride. And when you lay that down and you say, look, God's done all this in my life. It's because of God that I have the stuff that I have. It's because of God that I live where I live. It's because of God that I love my job. It's because of God that I have this life that I have. Don't think for a second it's you. It's God. And so when you live in this place of gratitude, you recognize the one who gave you everything. And it's an act of worship to him. Notice again, verse 10, it says, The Sabbath day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In other words, it's not just a day for you to do whatever you want. Sabbath isn't just a day where you don't have to clock in at work. It's not intended to be the day when you do all the work that you don't get paid for. You know, like all the work, like mowing the lawn and, 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 and cleaning the house and, and cleaning up that storage closet that you've been meaning to get to for, for weeks or months or years, or doing laundry or spending an automatic four hours at Ikea or, or, or changing the oil in the car or whatever, like... Those things, don't confuse those things for Sabbath because those things are important and they need to be done, but they're not Sabbath restful things. Sabbath is a day of worship and rest and, and thankfulness. I was reading a book this week um, as I was prepping for this message, and this book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Great title. Um, but uh, it was written by John Mark Comer, and he wrote this book, and in it he talks a lot about Sabbath and, and his Sabbath and what it's like. And he says on his Sabbath, he takes it every week, like intense, like follows it very, very well. And he asks himself on the Sabbath, he gives himself a filter of two things. Whenever he and his kids and his family are planning on doing something, they ask themselves, is this restful and is this worship? And they're so strict on it. If it's their Sabbath day, their day to rest as a family, if it's not restful and it's not worship, they say no. It doesn't bring, if it brings any sort of like anxiousness or hurry or busyness, they, they don't do it. They take it as a day to rest and to day of worship. The second time that we see um, this commandment of Sabbath, we see it actually in Deuteronomy. So you see it again here um, in the book of Deuteronomy because they've been kind of wandering in the wilderness and many of the original generation that heard those Ten Commandments they're no longer living. And so you have this younger generation and Moses is like, okay, I got to remind you guys of the Ten Commandments. So here it is again in Deuteronomy, but there's a slight change. See if you catch it. It's a little bit different this time when he says it. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
Did you catch the subtle difference between Exodus and Deuteronomy? In Exodus, what was the first word? Remember. In Deuteronomy, what was the first word? Observe. That's a really key, interesting difference here because in Exodus, the command to Sabbath is out of this creation story. God quote, or it's quoted in Genesis chapter 2, how God worked and then he rested. It's a day to remember that God worked and God rested. In Deuteronomy, the first word is observe. Because in Deuteronomy, it's grounded in the Exodus story. Because in Exodus, the Israelites were what? They were slaves. They were hard workers, seven days a week, no Sabbath, no day off, no day of rest, no day to worship. It was get up early, work hard, make bricks out of straw, do what you're told. You're going to get whipped. You are slaves. They, they were slaves in Exodus. And so when he says this, he says, observe the Sabbath in order to remind them that there was a day when you were slaves, when you were working hard every day, you weren't given a day off. By the way, does any of that sound familiar? Always working, never really resting, no real days off. Now, guys, here's the crazy part. We've gone back to Egypt. We've gone back to this place of we are slaves. We work seven days a week. We're always working all the time. We've gone back to Egypt, and you guys are not following me. You're looking at me with blank stares like, what are you talking about? You're like, I'm free. This is America. Yeah, I understand that. But you, all of us, We've enslaved ourselves to our lifestyles. We've enslaved ourselves to our wants, to our desires, to our possessions, to our money, to our calendars, to our responsibilities. We've gone back to Egypt. We are now slaves. We work seven days a week. You may get the weekend off, and that's great. But when you do, you just turn to your other slave masters. You just turn to, to, to those things that are like taking care of the house, doing laundry, maintenance on the cars, grocery shopping, busy schedules, paying the bills, running errands. Like by the end of your Sabbath, by the end of your weekend, my guess is a lot of us are still just as tired as we were on Friday afternoon after work because we've enslaved ourselves to being busy. And the crazy thing is we think we're in the promised land. But we're slaves to ourselves, to our money, to our responsibilities. We've told ourselves, if my calendar is full, then I'm really important. And I'm doing really great things. And I'm, I, can't, I can't spend a day just sitting at home staring at the wall praying. I can't do that. I got too many things to go, places to be. We're not Sabbathing, people. We're not experiencing Sabbath rest. We've fooled ourselves into thinking we are, but we're not. We're in Egypt. We have slave masters that we've enslaved ourselves to. We've made it impossible for us to rest because we have too many other things. I'm too busy. I got such a busy calendar. I, I'm running this place and this place. I don't have any, any time. One of the things John Mark said in his book, he said this. He said, we live in a culture of more, a culture of gaping, unquenchable lust for everything. Lust for more food, more drink, more clothes, more devices, more apps, more things, more square footage, more experiences, more stamps on the passport, more. We've become enslaved to more. We've gone back to Egypt. We've become slaves to a life of busy, worry, exhaustion, stress, greed, lust, 
and over consumers of stuff. Church, what we need in our lives is not more. We need less. Less things on the calendar. Less things to put in your house. Less distractions in your way. Less things to get in between you and your relationship with your children, with your family, with your your loved ones. We need less stress. We need less worry. We need less anxiety. We need less things to occupy our busy minds. Don't fall into this trap of thinking you need more. You need less. You have plenty. I have plenty. I don't need more. Sometimes I go to that place and I think I need more. I need more. I need that. I don't need it. I don't need it. We need less. We have it all backwards. Talk to people around the world who have less and see if you are any happier than they are. Talk to people who live with less, who have less, who have less money, less things, and see if you have any more joy in your life than they do. My guess is you'll find a lot of the times they're more joyful than we are. They're happier than we are. They're less stressed than we are. Their lives are completely different than ours. But don't fool yourself into thinking, I need more to be happy. You don't. You really don't. You have plenty. Before you buy something, ask yourself this question. How much time is this going to take out of my already busy week? How much money is this going to take out of my already stretched finances? And how is this going to impact my loved ones? Ask yourself, before you buy that RV, before you buy that boat, before you buy that motorcycle, before you buy that new car, before you buy that timeshare, whatever, like before you buy those things, ask yourselves, what is this going to cost me? And I'm not just talking financial, because everything we buy, it's going to cost us other than just money. We fool ourselves into thinking it's a one-time payment, or, or I'll set up payments that I'll pay for the next several years or whatever. But the, the, the other cost of that is you know, emotional energy and time, and, and how's that going to affect people in my life? More stuff does not equal more joy. Usually, more stuff equals more bills, more stress, more worry. I'm not saying here that everyone needs to become a minimalist, um, but I'm saying that we need to get our priorities in check. True satisfaction cannot be bought, sold, or acquired. True satisfaction comes from rest in Christ. John Mark also said this in his book. He said, ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires without limit. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which leads to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, Overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless, and the cycle spirals out of control. Isn't it ironic that in our efforts to find satisfaction, in our efforts to find fulfillment, in our efforts to find happiness, we find just the opposite. What we really need, people, what we really need is Jesus. What we really need is just to stop just to stop. Stop all the madness. Stop all the craziness. Spend a day with Jesus. Spend a day with your family. Spend a day at home. Spend time with God. Just stop. Just stop. 
We all did this in 2020. We all had to stop everything. Now there's a lot of stress involved in that. I understand that. That wasn't by choice. But we all were forced to stop. Everything stopped. And many of us found time at home was kind of nice. We found time with our families was kind of nice. And we just got right back into it, didn't we? We just got the engine going and we're right back into busy again. A.J. Swoboda said, We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Because we've just become so obsessed with more when we need to be obsessed with less. And we can't keep going at this rate. We need rest. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 4 says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's out of Psalm 95 again, right there. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. So because God created everything, God knows what we need and work and rest. And the key for us to experience restfulness is obedience. It's obedience. Obedience to God, obedience to his word. Just be obedient. Just seek him and be obedient to what God wants for you. Until we learn to obey God and obey his word, we'll never experience the right balance between work and rest. If you want to experience this true rest here, you can only do so in God. Verse 9 he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every, what church? Every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The irony here, are you, the irony in, these, in this verse is make effort to enter that rest. That sounds backwards, doesn't it? But we have, to take it, we have to make effort to enter that rest. We have to be obedient. There's, there's a restfulness that only we experience when we prepare for it, when we work hard for it, when we spend our lives striving to be followers of Christ, to be faithful, to be obedient to him. When we make that effort, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. All the anxieties, the worries of this world, don't worry. I got it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to watch over you. And God's saying, just trust me with everything else. It's going to be okay. When you get to a place of this, this rest, you don't worry as much. You don't stress as much. All the small things that get you all worked up, when you're at this place of restfulness with God, you don't even sweat it. You're like, it's going to be all right. I don't know why we're worrying about this. God's going to take care of us. He always has. He always will. God is always taking care of us. We see this in a beautiful example in Mark chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples, they're out on the boat and there's this storm that comes and it crashes over the boat. And Jesus, I love it. He's taking a nap. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. He's tired. He's resting. And, and in the middle of all this, this storm happens and the disciples run to Jesus and they're like, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus is like, all right, gets up and he says, quiet, be still. And the storm is calm. And everything's okay. And they're like, wow, even the wind and the waves obey this guy. See, what Jesus models for us here is don't sweat it. Live in a place of rest, 
live in a place of trusting God, live in this, this sweet place of like, God, I, I know you've got this. I know you've got me. I know it's going to be all right. Did you know you can have peace in the storms in your life? That you can be resting in the middle of chaos? That you can be resting in God's goodness because you trust him, because you know he's with you, because you know it's going to be okay? Because you've got Jesus in the boat. You can live in this place of resting in him. But we never experience it. Many of us never experience it because we got too much else going on. We need rest in all kinds of areas. We need spiritual rest. We need emotional rest. We need mental rest. We need physical rest. We need social rest. We need digital rest. It's not just sleeping that gives you rest. We need to take breaks from things. We need to get, we need to have this Sabbath, this day to just stop. And God's, I mean, in the Old Testament, it was, it was a, one of the Ten Commandments was to spend one day every week and stop. You know what that meant for them? It meant they prepped all their meals on Friday before sundown because Saturday, even prepping a meal was work. It meant getting everything set on Friday, doing all the work, all the preparation, so that by the time sundown hits Friday, it was from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday, it was just a day to literally stop everything. You go to church, you worship God. And you go home and you worship God and you rest your soul. That's the rhythm we were created to be in, but many of us don't do that. We don't, take, we don't even know what this really looks like and it's no wonder we're struggling to rest. Jesus is the master of work and rest. He encourages us in Matthew chapter 11. I love this. This is a verse you should remember. Put down somewhere, write it somewhere. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go to Jesus. Verse 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Go to Jesus. You have an open invitation to go to Jesus. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I know you're stressed out. Go to Jesus. Find rest in him. I know you got a stressful job. I know the money is tight. I know things are stressful with the kids right now. I know life isn't going the way you planned it would go. I know things are difficult. I know this is not the way you would have ever chosen your life to be. You wouldn't have ever chosen to go through what you're going through. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy burdened. I know you're tired. Come to me and I will show you how to rest. You don't know how to rest on your own. You don't know how. You think resting is that long list of things you got to do on your day off. That's not resting. Resting is Jesus and he will show you. If you're feeling overworked, you're feeling stressed out, you're feeling burdened, When's the last time you connected with God? When's the last time you took real time with him? More than just five minutes. More than just, okay, I got to get my devotion out. What's the, what's the verse of the day? Oh, thank you, Jesus. When's the last time you took time to be with God? You got to rest in him. Because this is it right here, guys. This is the, this is, this is the power right here in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active 
It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is not some old ancient book that doesn't do anything. It's the word of God. And let me tell you something really cool. You might already know this, but this blows my mind sometimes when I think about it. In Greek, the Greek word for God is logos. Do you know what that word also means? Word. Word. It's interchangeable. When you see the word word in the Bible, in the New Testament, you can transition that to God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. God is alive. He is active. He is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to joints and marrow. It is God who judges the attitudes of the heart. It is God who speaks. It, when you open these words, you are reading God. You're spending time and it's alive. It's active. God knows you need rest. Go to him. Go to him. Don't run from him. Go to him. You're stressed out? Go to Jesus. You're not stressed out? Go to Jesus. Spend time in God's word. Love him. Care for him. Mm. Church, it's a powerful thing when you um, get to this kind of this place of just surrender to God's word. Maybe you need to surrender to God's word. You are not in control of your life. You are not that important. Your schedule is not that busy. You just need to reprioritize some things. Every one of us has the same amount of time in a day. And every one of us is responsible for how we use it. And church, you can't go a day without God's word. You can't go a day without him. You need him every day. When you take a break from God's word, you probably notice yourself changes a little bit. You probably notice you're more irritable. You probably notice you're more argumentative. You probably notice you're a little less patient. You probably notice you're a little more tired because your soul is on empty. And the only way to live in a place that God created you to live is to balance work and rest. To practice this idea of Sabbath, to stop, to say, God, I need you. I'm going to take a break from everything else in life. I can take a break. I don't need to go to that meeting. I don't need to go to that appointment. I don't need to go to that thing. I just need Jesus. I just need time with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we need you. We need a word from you. I thank you, God, that you've created us in such a way where you know how we work and you know what we need. And show us, God, how to have this balance between work and rest. And when we do rest, that we really just rest in you. Help us, God. I know this is a kind of an, an idea that, that we need to make practical for each of us, and each of us needs this. And so, God, show us how to say no to some things so we can say yes to more important things. Show us how to prioritize time with you. 
because God, our world right now, people are so angry all the time. They're, they're so stressed out. They're so anxious. They're so just ready to argue with anybody at any moment. And it's because we're just running on empty and we, we need to be running on full. And we need you, God. Show us where we need to reprioritize our schedules. Show us the things in our calendar that can wait. Show us the things that we need to surrender so that we can spend time with you. Show us how to rest. Bring us to a good place with you, God. Bring our souls back to you. Reconnect our souls with you, God. I want to pray for those of you who maybe you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to experience this rest that God talks about and be ready to turn your back on, on your ways and focus on his ways and his thoughts. I encourage you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I give my life to you. Will you forgive me of my sins? And starting today, I declare with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I declare with my mouth, I love you, Jesus. I serve you. You're my God. Forgive me. Give me a clean slate. I choose to follow you today. And I'm going to follow you tomorrow. And I'm going to follow you the next day. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my days. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.